Hi, my name is Mary Cruz, and welcome to I'm So Glad You Asked. Everyone has a story, and I want to hear yours, episode 11. So welcome to the 11th episode and the first of 2024. This is a very special episode. It is the beginning of my series, Interviewing Men, and I am calling it The Men's Spotlight. Every man has a story, and I want to hear yours. I'm really excited to introduce my friend and guest for today's episode, Anthony Neary. Anthony was one of the first people to listen to and give a beautiful review of my first podcast episode. The review was written by someone named Bonaparte, which when I Googled translated into good part in English. Through my excellent sleuthing skills, I realized it was Anthony and texted him my gratitude. Anthony and I met about five years ago through who else? Our friend Rachel. We were both at a party at Rachel's house, and I remember distinctly being in the kitchen and meeting Anthony. I don't remember the exact words, but somehow I figured out he was Italian, and I believe I introduced myself in that manner. Hi, I'm Mary. I'm also Italian. Thankfully, we began to hang out in the same group of friends, and recently, Mike and I attended his, wa- his wedding to Katie. You might remember Katie. She shared her brave story on episode five. They are a wonderful couple, and I'm grateful that Mike and I have them as friends. Making new friends in your 40s is a gift. You have this incredible opportunity to remember parts of yourself all over again, which is something I have learned throughout this podcast. And it rings true with my friendship with Anthony. Over the last few years, I have come to learn we both share a love of history, Chicago history to be exact, and we both attended undergrad in Chicago, him at UIC and me at Loyola. I now have a favorite alcoholic drink thanks to a party at Rachel's house in which Anthony made Mike and I a drink called the Boulevardier. And then there is the Italian part. Like I mentioned at the beginning, we both happen to have Italian heritage. And I'm so excited to learn even more throughout this conversation with Anthony. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mary. It's so nice to be here. Um, Is there anything you'd like to add? Um, The Boulevardier is a perfect drink, by the way. I do work for a... (laughs) It is a great drink. I work for a wine and spirits distributor, so it is not only my passion, but part of my job. But uh, for those of you who don't know, it is equal parts vermouth, bourbon, and Campari. It's... Um, I really, it is really my favorite drink. I love all of those flavors. Like, yeah. So it's kind you. of my litmus test for a, for a bar, not to get too. No, 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 it, please. It really is a litmus test for a bar. If, if a bar is going to call itself a cocktail bar. Oh, interesting. Because a Boulevardier is probably a second or third tier kind of cocktail. Not as famous as a martini or an old fashioned or Manhattan, but anybody who's going to call themselves a mixologist should really know what it is. So if you go into a bar and you order a Boulevardier and they stare at you blankly, just get a Jameson on the rocks. Just just leave. Um, <laughs> but if they can make a decent Boulevardier, they're probably making everything else pretty good, too. I will ask this before we get into our beautiful story. <laughs> what is the history of the Boulevardier? Like, do you know how old it, where it was yeah, invented? Yeah, it's from the 1920s Paris. Oh, that's so really a Boulevardier cool. is basically just a whiskey Negroni. It's a mm. Negroni with whiskey instead of gin in it. Okay. The Boulevardier was a kind of American expat dandy man about town. That's really Guys cool. Guys strolling down the streets in French, a Boulevardier. A Boulevardier. Yeah. Oh, cheers. Okay, so. that's awesome. Well, that is now my new favorite drink um, that I will be drinking from now on. I just, it's like, it is perfect to me. It's to me. I love it. It is perfect. You're like, I love it. <laughs> now, like all of a sudden in 2024, Boulevardier drinks are just going to spike everywhere <laughs> in the Western suburbs. Um. Well, wherever you'd like to start, I really appreciate you being here today. Um, but what is the story or stories that you feel really shaped you into who you are today? 
Let's go. So we were talking about this before, you you know, months ago, ago. uh, parties and stuff. And you were talking about how you wanted to get me on it eventually. And that kind of coincided. I know this is about trauma and people dealing with, you know, the trauma in their lives. And that kind of coincided with something I I heard on Facebook that really kind of moved me a little bit. It was um, Ethan Hawke, the actor, was on. It was just a... You know, just a, a reel on Facebook, and he was saying that nobody cares about poetry. Okay. Until someone you loved for 30 years tells you they don't love you anymore. Oh, or wow. your son dies, or some other tragedy happens to you, and suddenly words don't. Yeah. You can't, you know, plumb the emotions to that. Mm. And only poetry can kind of do that. And it's sort of the old thing, like, you know. Nobody understands country music until their heart's been broken. Yeah. So it's kind of along that. Oh thing. wow. Okay. But you were asking me about that, about if I wanted to be on here, and I'd, I'd love to, and it really got me thinking about that and about how literature and poetry kind of went through my life and helped me get over the traumas in my mm-hmm. life, specifically my father dying when I was young, and then I went through a pretty bad divorce myself. So okay. Well, let's- how those kind of things got me through that was really kind of what I really wanted to talk about today. Um, I would love that. And I let's start with your dad. But I think the overarching question I'd want to ask, and we can talk about this throughout, is did you seek it out or did it find you? What? Poetry. No, it really found uh, me. You know what I mean when I say that? Like, was it something you were seeking? Were you seeking solace or did it come to find you? No, it really came to find me. It was okay. really kind of a roundabout kind of way. Wow. So. Okay. Well, let's start. Um, I am so sorry. I know oh, your dad you. died when you were really young. And that's... Yeah. Um, my dad died like six years ago, and I feel like well, it, nothing prepares you for it. But grief is um, grief is funny in that it will always pop up in different ways. Right. For right. so, how how old were you when your dad died? I was eleven. Okay. So, what was your dad's name? David. David Neary. Yeah, he was an attorney in St. Charles. Oh, he was an attorney. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. Um, how did he die? A heart attack. He was getting ready for a Bears game one day to go out. Gonna go out to a Bears game with a buddy of his oh and God. just really drop dead right in the bathroom. And how old was he? Uh, forty-four. Forty-four. Yeah, and no, he was like, young guy. um. I mean, he was. You know, if they did it today, they would have found all the things that were kind of wrong with him. I think. Okay. I'm so sorry. That must have been awful. It was, but it was. It's a hard thing to kind of put yourself into like an 11 year old, right? Like yeah. I was kind of saying in the words of um, Norman McLean, like our our childhood was really idyllic. Mm. Yeah, it, tell it me even more about that. Yeah, more so because of what happened. Okay, right? Like our world was never more beautiful just before it disappeared. Oh, right. So it's, wow. it's because there was such a sharp yeah. change that it, it seems more. But uh, well, but, tell me a little bit about your childhood then. So well, McLean like- said it best. He said it was a world with dew still on it. And it was really just a, a beautiful suburban childhood. And it wasn't nothing any anything special or anything about it. It was simple. It was riding bikes and yeah. fishing in the Fox River and just shit like that. But yeah, one day he just died and everything everything changed and nothing changes. And that's the most disruptive part to it. And that's the part that makes it so unreal. Yeah. I suppose. Like <clears throat> Absolutely. My, you know, I mean, I really got to give credit to my mother. She suddenly was raising three teenage boys all by herself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you want to interview somebody about trauma, you should interview her. I would love to interview <laughs> your mother. If she would be on, I'd be honored. But, um, you know, she kind of, she kept it all together. We didn't lose the house. Like, none of that changed. 
day to day life didn't really change, right? There were no real big things. And I think especially as when you're a child, when something like that happens, you really don't have the capacity for your own emotions. Yeah. You know, you don't really understand really all of it and what's happening to you. You don't understand your own grief. You don't understand your own anger. You don't understand any of that. So it really took us a long time to kind of figure out how to deal with it and kind of come to terms with it. Do you still, um, do you still remember that time at all? Like yeah. vividly? Okay. Yeah. Do you vividly. think about it? Do you think of, do you think about it? <laughs> Not so much anymore. And I, I'm kind of, you know, on that path towards it. So the first, you know, couple of years, junior high, all that stuff, <clears throat> excuse me. We're kind of regular and, it, you know, you're kind of dealing with it, but it's something you're more embarrassed about than. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know what I mean? Than really apt to share. Yeah. Right. Um, as it came out later, as I started getting into, you know, high school and you start getting in your angsty teen years is really where. I can't picture you angsty, but that's that funny you say out. that. Very angsty. <laughs> but, and that's kind of where, where this kind of part with, with poetry and literature kind yeah. of opens into it. Um I think I was about 15. My mother got me a, an Anne Rice novel. And oh, I wow. went the vampire novels, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, it was the first time I ever really read a book, and I read it, you know, cover to cover in like two days oh. and just completely fell in love with it. I loved it. And, you know, what's not to like, right? They're sophisticated, urbane, powerful, cruel. Like, that's everything yeah. a teenage boy wants to be. <laughs> um, so, but that, and, you know, her writing's, kind of fair to middling now if you look back at it. But at the yeah. time, it was really transformative to me as a 15-year-old. Yeah. Right? But she was very referential in her writing. So she talked about Charles Dickens, John Keats. She talked mm. about a lot of authors and writers and made allusions to everybody else. And I got really into the whole, like, vampire gothy thing, you know? Um, Freshman a- year, Anthony just, you know. <laughs> I didn't that- dress it. I didn't have black there, fingernails the or anything. There but- was a movie with... That I was really into. So it was like Keith or Sutherland. The Lost Boys. The Lost. This yeah. is all I'm picturing yeah, when yeah. you're saying that the Lost Boys. Okay. Yeah, it was that kind of stuff. So, But but I really got into it in the sense that it really opened up that world of like, I like the Anne Rice book so much. She talked about Charles Dickens. I want to read Charles Dickens. So what made your mom get you the book? It was just like she. I don't know. I think That's somebody great. at Townhouse Books recommended it to her. Okay. So shout out to Townhouse. Yeah, right there. Townhouse. <laughs> I love that. So it came out of the blue. It wasn't something you were expecting or even something you were asking for. Mm. And your mom just gave it to you. But it really got me into this, this world that opened up about poetry and especially long form. Like I really got into, you know, and, and these are themes of, you know, it's Dante's uh, Inferno. Mm-hmm. John Milton called, wrote this book called Paradise Lost. It's a very long poem written in the 17th century. And it's all about Lucifer. I actually have heard of that. Yeah. It's all about Lucifer being, you know, kind of punished and, you know, he he talks about Lucifer as this kind of, he's basically kind of a kid being grounded in his room, right? Mm-hmm. He's sitting in the dark, hatching vain empires. Wow. And Lucifer's saying it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Okay. So he's really, like, he's still pissed off and everything. Like I said, it's just, it's kind of like a kid being grounded and still yeah. pissed at their parents. Yeah. Is basically what he is. And that really spoke to a... Mm. <laughs> well, yeah. Lonely, angry young kid, which is also why, like, all that imagery held, you know, and all that kind of stuff. This is why heavy metal works. Wait, you know wait, what I mean? Why it, why it works? Yeah, the imagery oh, of, yeah. you know, like, all of that, you know. I never thought of it like that, but yeah, yeah absolutely. Judas Priest, Slayer, <laughs> Metallica. It's very layered, right? Yeah, all those guys are getting into that, so that's why it speaks to teenagers, and it really did it for me. 
But I had the added kind of egotistical benefit, right? So, like, think of myself back then. And I was kind of thinking about it today, just talking to you and what I was going to say. And just, like, what an asshole I was. <laughs> <laughs> because you have Let's this, unpack that. A person in, in my position at that age, right? 16 years old. Father died young, yeah. you know, just kind of pissed off at the world. But you have an unassailable moral position at yeah. that point. Nobody can come at you and say you need to not do this because my father died. Yeah. Right? And I get to say this. And everybody, like, I am emotionally so much better than everybody. Mm -hmm. So much more wounded than you are. Whatever you got in your life, I got something worse. Wow. Right? So it gives you this. Can I just say something? <laughs> yeah. I, um. I can say from experience with the trauma I experienced, I actually had that attitude too. Yeah. So I, I genuinely understand. I don't, not from the anger part, but I understand what you say. Like it was almost this attitude of like, um, you have no idea what I went exactly. through. So don't yeah. even you get some superiority. Yeah. Like don't, please don't talk to me about it. Okay. <laughs> right. Wow. So add on to that mountain of moral superiority, you build a tower, you know, of, um, of kind of this, like my, my anger translated itself into like anger at God. Oh, right. were you raised um, any type of religion? We were raised Catholic, but very Wonder Bread Catholic. Wonder Bread Catholic. I like you know, that. We went to church on Easter, maybe. Maybe. And then with like my grandparents, that was the only. I've never heard the Wonder Bread Catholic before. I like that. Yeah, it was really kind of like on paper. You okay. Know, it wasn't really. Yeah. But like the tenants, we were all, you know, had our communion. Okay. My confirmation? No, no confirmation. Okay, I was going to say, what's your confirmation name? <laughs> but, you know, it's it's the Italian cultural Catholic. It is a very cultural a Catholic, yeah. It. It's, it's that I call of... it, it's funny you call it Wonder Bread. I call it the buttercream Catholic because it's the, um, <laughs> uh, when the kids get baptized and there's the buttercream cake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> that's, that is all of us, yes. I would also um, identify with that. Okay, so. But so like I said, you, so you take this this mound of, you know, moral superiority and then you build this this war that i'm personally having with god yeah and everybody else's bullshit that they're dealing with with their parents you're 16 you don't like your parents yeah. i'm having a war with god did you ever mine is that so much more profound and meaningful than whatever's going through your life you know what i mean this is my this is my armor this is the yeah. shield that i'm putting up that like i'm doing something important yeah oh. and you realize just how like Douchey that sounds and just so <laughs> so like just wounded self-pity. I mean, it's just you're just drowning in your own Yeah, you know, how sad. Well at the time I am. though, it's just I get so it. egotistical and but I think that that's part of the path you have to go through. Yeah. Like you said, the first couple of years, like you start dealing with it at that age. You don't really have a conception of it at twelve or thirteen about what it really means. No, you Something really Something like don't. that happens to you and it's such a it wasn't like he was dying of cancer for years. It happened. You kind of have to walk out of it. It just, boom, one day he was there and the next day he was gone. <sighs> so it's really like, how do you emotionally wrap your head around that? And it took me like 20 years to. 20 years? Yeah, really I figure get that. it out. Um, I was going to say, well, clearly you remember what it was like to be 16, right? <laughs> and it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's a hard age in general. 11 is a hard age in general because you're like this little person with all of these emotions that you just don't know what to do with. Right. But you said that when you read Anne Rice and then you noticed that she referenced Charles Dickens that made you want to read Dickens. Mm -hmm. Did you read Dickens? Yeah. 
you have a favorite Dickens? Uh, David Copperfield is probably my favorite, just long form Dickens. It's a little dense. I tried reading it again a couple of years ago. Okay. It's a little, it's like you can get through it, but it's a little, it's a little long. I'm trying to get my daughter into Tale of Two Cities because it's a little more concise, but it's okay. It's still pretty good. So, oh, <clears throat> um, so what I would say at this time, you are using poetry, I would say, as a, I want to like, what's a good word? Not as not as a weapon. You're not using it as a weapon. You're as a shield, maybe. Yeah, probably a little bit of both. Okay. Because I wanted to be a little more sophisticated and a little more well read than other people, so I could kind of lord it over them a little. Is there something <laughs> <laughs> lord it over them? This is Anthony. This is you know, if first we're being of all, honest, I, like I want was, you to be honest. This is I. I, I genuinely was very full of myself, but it was. I think that's you're putting up that armor and yes. that face in front of you to kind of keep everybody at an arm at a distance, right? Self preservation. Yeah, it's self preservation. Yeah. Um. So throughout, I would say at this time. Is there a couple or one that really sticks out in your mind that kind of guided you through this time period, like a poem, like a line or anything? It didn't really catch until I was older, but this is okay. like where the seeds were kind of sown that really okay. got me reading. Like I'm a pretty voracious reader now. It I sounds love like it. Reading, I love poetry, all of that stuff. And it's that's this is kind of the hook that set it in there. Okay. Because once you start doing that, it's kind of, you want everything. Do you also enjoy writing? I tried writing uh, a novel when I was, you know, in my 20s, and it's just absolute garbage. Okay, so you need- <laughs> It was fun to try. Um, see, as I said in my intro, I'm gonna, I was so excited to learn all these things about you, because I knew this was going to be like, like, like gift after gift after gift. Oh, man, you read it over again now. Like, it's just like, oh, my God, like, well, I can't even show this to people. Like, even as oh, a you joke, should, it's I mean, just you should awful. Sh- you should show it to me only if you want. That's up to you. But, um... You know, our, our, our mutual friend, Lisa, mm-hmm. is a um, renowned poet and writer. Yeah, she's good. <laughs> you two should, you should tell her this story or she will well, hear, sure it. hear it. She'll hear it. She'll hear it. But afterwards, we'll have to unpack that. <laughs> um, but I love that you said it sowed seeds. Um, do you feel like looking back on it now, do you think it was a little healing? Like it helped? I think it didn't. I think it it's goes back to that Ethan Hoy thing. Like it gives you something to put into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It gives you that framework and yeah. that kind of structure that you can kind of manage your emotions around. Wow. You know, you get into Shakespeare and stuff like that, and like nothing really captures it like Shakespeare does. Okay. You know what I mean? What um what would be your favorite Shakespeare? Well, um the one I love the most is from Othello. It's one of the best insults ever. Is I see that nose of his, but not the dog I should throw it to. Like, that's some cold-blooded shit. That is cold-blooded. Like, that is evil shit to say to somebody, you know? Like, it really is. Nothing, like, just fuck you doesn't capture that the same way as, as no, that it really other doesn't. line doesn't. You know, like, that's a whole nother... I have to say, I really appreciate... I had no idea your love of words. I'm going to oh, say words. Yeah. I had no idea. This is incredible. Yeah. Words are powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, Othello. <laughs> um, they are... They can shape people. They can really leave a mark. Um, what, okay, other than the Anne Rice novel, can you think of a <laughs> book at that time that you love? Not a poetry book, but a book that you loved during your high school years? Oh, um, I got into, like, F. Scott Fitzgerald a lot. Okay. Hemingway, I started liking all that. That's great. Yeah. 
That was really fun stuff. I didn't get a lot of it, to be honest. Like okay. it kinda, A lot of it kind of goes over your head, especially if you're doing it on your own. Like, it wasn't through school. I would purposely not read the shit in school and read other stuff. Because oh. it was like another sense of rebellion. So I got like bad grades, but I was like... <laughs> Reading David Copperfield, like skipping class to go sit in the library and read David Copperfield. I mean, I feel like someone should it like really write stupid. A, no, that's not really stupid. Um, I always had a hard time with those books, but I love that you. I love that like they made an imprint on you. Yeah. Um, so I know you were saying that like it was a seed, and and then as you got older, it kind of, I guess, like you. As I got older, so like, you know, after high school, you, you kind of move through all of that stuff and grow out of that shit. And then uh, it evolved kind of uh, as I got into my 20s, got to working and all that kind of stuff. Wait, I have one more question about your dad. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, do you, I mean, did you guys ever talk about it? Was it something that you talked about in your family? Like, did you oh, guys, yeah. you keep yeah. the spirit of your dad alive? Yeah, and I think that was kind of part of the the traumatic nature of it. He was a really, really big personality okay. just in and of himself. He was very popular at work and everything like that. But even within the, the larger family, mm -hmm. he was one of the older cousins, if you will. Yeah. He was the oldest brother in my yeah. grandparents' family. So he was really kind of in charge of everything. He was sort of the life of the party, really big personality, really gregarious. So when he, when he died, it really kind of blew a hole through everybody. And, it sounds wonderful. You know, like my mother's traumatized. My aunts yeah. are all both traumatized. Like everybody was kind of shell shocked for a really long time. Absolutely. And you don't, and same thing, you don't realize that as an 11 year old. No. You're not really thinking about what other people are going through. Right. But so it takes a long time to kind of unpack that. But didn't he run for office? I remember. Yeah, he ran for state rep in 82. I feel like I either saw a poster, like a really yeah, cool. House, yeah. That's really cool. I love. I obviously I love stuff like that, but I think that's also incredible that he wanted to be a public servant. Yeah, and he was. He was always on <clears throat> committees and stuff in St. Charles. And okay. He was a um, precinct committeeman when he died. Is there any of I that? I think those are aldermen now, but I'm not sure. I, well, I think. Well, they do have. They do have committee precinctmen. Yeah. I mean, am I saying it correctly? Um, aside from aldermen. Okay. Um, but do you feel like you've like carried any of his spirit with you in certain things? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we all kind of have. Yeah. Like my brothers and I all have bits and pieces of him. That's cool. Well, into it, he was a big reader too, and that was another kind of tie-in with that. Like, was it okay? Yeah, he was a big reader, so I kind of wanted to be too. He oh. liked biographies and that kind of stuff, but that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. But so, like as we got older, one of the ways we would kind of process, and you start to think about it less and less and less. But yeah. One of the ways we would do it is on the anniversary of his death or somewhere right around there. What is the anniversary? Uh, September 18th. September 18th. Okay. So my brothers and I would get together, have dinner, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, pour a little out for dad kind of thing like that. What do you pour? Whiskey. He had drank whiskey. What kind of whiskey? Bourbon. It was uh, Jack Daniels if he could afford it in early times if he couldn't. Um, <laughs> my dependent. dad loved Jack Daniels, but I was uh, just telling Mike this too. I don't know what it was in the 80s. But I distinctly remember there are always like people would give us gifts of Crown Royal, mm -hmm. and I thought it was so cool. Like because it's got the bag. It's got the bag. Yeah. So like that must. Why everybody buys? <laughs> I don't think anyone buys it anymore. I don't yeah. know. You tell me. Do people buy it? Yeah, they still do. Okay, they shouldn't be though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you would pour some whiskey out for your dad. Yeah. So but then you would like after that we would all go our separate ways. You'd go home, and I would you know keep drinking and keep smoking and stuff, and kind of do this exercise where you kind of roll over the day in your head all over again, okay. right? 
And then you kind of do this thing where you, it becomes kind of a fantasy almost where you start mm. piling over. Like if only he had lived, then this would be different then yeah. that would be different. And you can really quickly kind of pile any regret or wrong in your life and trace it right back to that. If you really want, to. you really could because you can do whatever you want with it. Yes. Because there's no response from the other side. You're just talking to yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, I, I'm going to ask this question, and it's okay if you don't want to answer. And however however you believe, um, I know for me when my dad died, I don't know. I mean, I definitely have a faith, right? I, mm-hmm. I believe in a, a God, and um, I believe there's something beautiful, right, waiting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always assumed I'd get a sign from my dad, and I never did. Like I always was waiting. I, not like I don't want to see him. I don't want to see like some big <laughs> angel in my room. No, no, thank you. But one of the things that did happen was over COVID. I would. My sister ended up staying with us during COVID, and I swear to you, we would smell cigarette smoke everywhere in the house. And no one. My dad was an avid smoker. Right. Like, he had a sign in his office that said, "Please smoke." <laughs> he did, and he had ashtrays all over the house. But we would smell smoke, smoke ever. Mike had quit smoking at this time. My sister was not a smoker. And that, to me, I was like, either I'm going nuts or that's a sign from my dad. So have you ever gotten a sign from your dad? Or is that, And if that's not something you believe in, please, I hope. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, it's not really something I believe in. Okay. I, I did kind of lose my religion way long time ago. Yeah. Um, but I don't really believe, like, his spirit's around. But it's more of, like, the things he said and the influences mm. he had on us still absolutely live on, right? Like, yep. So that's always been there. That's important. Those are the yeah. important things that live on. Yeah. So like I said, we would sit around. I would kind of sit around by myself and just kind of, you know, again, you know, the theme running through here is my own self-pity. But just kind of, <laughs> kind of sit there. I wish there, there and, was a visual of this of like young Anthony, <laughs> like 20-year-old Anthony. You know what I mean? You can really pour about everything in my life that has gone wrong or didn't work out can be traced back to yeah. this. If you want to, you can do that math Were you because like i that? said there's no one on the other side saying that's not really how it was yeah <laughs> or that like didn't really slapping you yeah. like yeah that's not that's not real <clears throat> so um that kind of went on for a long time uh and then it got it got a lot worse once i had children mm-hmm. so we would do this again and then i would get really upset like when we when i had kids and we would do the same thing and i would do the same thing the yeah. kids were in bed and i would stay up all night and pace around and drink and smoke and Really be upset about like how much he would have liked them and how much they would have liked him. Like they just don't get to experience that. Like anger. Were you angry? Yeah, and that's I mean, that's kind of part of it, which is where I'm getting into is that like the hard part about that with that trauma is he is just frozen in time. Mm-hmm. Right? He's yeah. statuified as the father of an eleven year old boy who's yeah. basically perfect when you're an eleven year old kid. Oh, you're not yeah. your dad's just this monolithic figure who's Cool. Everything he says is right. Yep. He does He's just is cool. Right, you know, like I never got to be 16 and mad at my father. I never yeah. got to see his flaws or any of his, you know, weaknesses, picadillos, anything. Yeah. You know, I never got to experience any of that. So I get to lock him in a case, you know, kind of put him in a glass picture frame as a certain person and then judge everything about my life, you know, on that metric. And that's just ridiculous. <laughs> But, but it's honest. But it's what you do. But it is honest. And it's, and or it's I, what I did for a really long oh, time. Oh, I have a feeling that there are more people than you know that would definitely resonate with that, Anthony. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Some people never get out of it. but That's true. Some people never get out of it. 
Yeah. That's what they live their life in. But that's honest. And I appreciate yeah, you being that honest. It's regret and it's so, but again, you can say, if only this didn't happen, then that wouldn't have happened. And therefore, I'd be a different person and I'd be happy. Yeah. Like, well, uh, and you know, the answer to that is, well, it, first of all, it did happen and you made choices and, yeah. you know, other things happened. Um, I'd like to touch on that a little bit, if you don't sure. mind. So were you, because you're talking about when you had kids, I mean, was it almost like a wound was reopened when you had your, your two wonderful daughters? Yeah, it was in, in that sense. And like, I, I, you know, it was only on those days that you really kind of let it in a little. Okay. You know, but it was, this is where like the poetry part comes through that really kind of, this was a really wake up moment. So yeah, it was, uh, so my daughter, Cece was about four or five. So this is. 2017, 2018, something like that. Okay. And <clears throat> we were doing, a, a, I was tasked to do the Veterans Day speech at, at work. Oh, wait. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because okay. you are. I'm a veteran. Yeah. Yes. And you, ser- you served in the Army? The Army in the mid-late 90s. So Okay. Thank you for your I service. I kept Texas safe from everybody. Well, thank you. Thank you for your service. You know, I really... We invaded Texas, and I didn't let any Texans out either, so. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm, like, learning so much. But I really mean that. Thank you for your service. Oh, you're I welcome. really appreciate that. So, okay, so you were tasked with. So I was, I was, you know, I volunteered to give the Veterans Day speech, so I was reading all this war poetry and stuff, trying to find, you know, some line I could use, something I could yeah. kind of tie in. And it kind of coincided with that. So I was doing the thing I always did was drink way too much and smoke way too much and pace up and down my porch and think about my dad and, you know, yeah. kind of replay all the wrong things in my life. And then, you know, wallow in the pity of my daughters would never know them. And yeah. <clears throat> and this poem just kind of came right into my head, like out of the blue somewhere. It's a, it's a short poem. It's from W.H. Odd, and he was an Irish poet. Okay. And it's called An Irish Airman Foresees His Death. So it's about like an Irish airplane pilot, right? And it says, um, I think I can do it. It's neither king nor duty bade me fight, nor public men nor cheering crowds. A lonely impulse of delight drove to this tumult in the cloud. I thought of all, brought all to mind. The years to come, a waste of breath, a waste of breath, the years behind. In tune with this life and this death. Oh my gosh! And just that, I always love that poem for that for that line, "A lonely impulse of delight." It's yes. just like it's you did something on a whim, and I always yeah. thought that was a great line. But it was really the line that, like, the years to come, a waste of breath, a waste of breath, the years yeah. behind. And as soon as I thought of that, like, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, just bang! Like, it's all just a waste of breath. Mm-hmm. It's all all the regret, all this. Yeah, <clears throat> you know. If only, if only, if only, if only my dad could have known my daughters, if they could have known him, and if only, only, it's a waste of breath. It's a waste of breath. Like, you really have to let it go. And by that time, it had been like 30 years since he died. Okay. So it was really like, you know, it's time to let go. That's incredible. All of it, all of the grief, all of this shit I was carrying around fell off me like a sheet. Just like in that moment? And it's never come back. Like, it's the strangest thing. I don't know how to describe it. No, I think that's... It just went away. And now whenever I think of my dad, it's always a happy memory. And it's... So this was 2018? 16, 18, somewhere around there. I can't okay. It was somewhere in oh, wait, there. Wait, she's 10 right now? Yeah. Probably yeah. like 18. Yeah. Um, That's incredible. I would love, if, if you're okay with it, can we put that poem in the show notes? Yeah, yeah. 
That's a beautiful. I've never heard that before. It's a really good one. Auden's great. I just love that because you said it like it found you, but you obviously you were looking, you were looking, you said you were going through things and right. That's incredible. I love that that is how, and I'm, I'm so sorry it took so long to find you, but I love that that's how it found you. And in that moment, cause it's always, I always think of sometimes um, with grief and trauma, mm-hmm. it's never going to be linear. So I've, right. heard, I've heard this a lot, right? <laughs> like healing and it's not linear. Yeah. And I appreciate when I heard that because it means that, um, you could be having the best year of your life. And then the next year, all of a sudden you have all this grief. You have no idea where it comes from. But what I like about this is that, um, it was unexpected. Mm-hmm. It was on veterans day of all days. It was something. It wasn't on veterans oh, not, day, but it was around, but it was for something yeah. for your daughter's school, <clears throat> you know, something that it was, I'm just, I'm not trying to put this in the box, but it wasn't like you were going to counseling and you were talking to a priest <laughs> and like you had all these steps to do, you know, but it yeah. just came out of the blue. And I think that's, I love that about life. It is cool. I mean, I like the way you said that it's not linear and it's that kind of Have idea. Have you heard that, that before? No, but I love that, that it's. It's not linear. Please you don't know that get to control how it happens. You really like, don't. You really have to give yourself to that. And I, um, you know, I'm you're probably, not driving that car. You're not driving that car. You're not. There's, I would say, uh, um, and I appreciate you saying that too about religion. I didn't know that, but like, let's take. We will take the religion out of it and just say there's a higher force. Uh, there's something bigger, right? There's something bigger than us. Or, and sometimes there has you have to let go. Yeah. And I know that's such a cliche to say, like, let go, because it's hard. But sometimes the best thing you can do is surrender. It's hard. Yeah, but I don't even consider it surrender. It's more like, like I said, it's a waste of breath. That's beautiful. It, it gets you nothing. It does nothing. You know, it doesn't. It's not moving your needle at all. It's not moving you forward through life anymore. You're just kind of spinning. Do you like, do you ever watch movies? Yeah. Okay. You ever seen Love Actually? Yeah. Okay. I love Love Actually. And I'm really sorry. It's I, a great movie. It's a great movie. It's one of my favorites. That's our Christmas. Katie and I watched that Christmas. <sighs> I love it. Okay. You know what this reminds me of? I'm. Uh, it reminds me of the end when he goes and he's showing her all the cards. In that moment, he was like, like she kissed him on the cheek and he was like, done. That's enough. It's enough. Yeah, but he's a horrible person. He's a horrible person. He's absolutely like, you horrible. You can't do that to somebody. No, That's... you can't. But it was like in that moment, he's like, oh, yeah, no, this is, what was I, what? Like, what was I doing? Yeah. That kind of reminds me of like that. Like, is it enough? He's Ooh. a sociopath, but he yes, is. I agree with I mean, you. We can unpack that another time. Um, <laughs> but he is absolutely a sociopath. <laughs> but that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. These are the, this is how my brain works, Anthony. I think in no, terms of look, like, I get, I get what you're like saying. I always think in terms of like, things remind me, Mike always makes fun of me because- <laughs> It'll be like a Gar- Simon and Garfunkel song. I'll be like, oh, that's from the Garden State soundtrack. He's like, no, that's from like, like 1979. <laughs> so that's how my brain works. I think in terms of film and I think in terms oh, of I'm soundtracks. Right I'm right okay. Yeah. But yes, he is a sociopath. We definitely need to discuss that <laughs> next time. Um, but I love I love that so, so much. I didn't realize that until this Christmas when I was watching it with Katie and she pointed it out. Oh, no, he's a total sociopath. Like I never got it. And then when she said it, you're like, you can't not see it. No, he's he's got. That's a horrible um, thing to do to your best friend and his wife. Yes, and then like (laughs) I always used to think like, what? How do you like have so much confidence to show up at someone's door like, and he's not going to show up at the door? Like, what? Tell me, tell me about that kind of confidence because I've never. Okay, I don't know how I could tie this into, but another (laughs) another movie that is one of my favorites. I highly recommend to anybody listening. But I will say this: it's all about feeling, right? This is about feeling and grief. Mm -hmm. Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, it's a good one. Like, 
Italian families, yeah. trauma, like relationship dynamics, healing. I love that movie. Yeah. Bradley is a great actor. <laughs> but anyways, thank you for sharing that. Um, sure. So that's been, so ever since then, you said you've never felt it again. It just kind of all went away. And like you can try to plumb the depths of that, but like now even I can talk about like the day he died and everything and like exactly minute by minute what went through it and it just doesn't bother me anymore. Well, I know you kept saying, um, which I really appreciate too, you sharing just like all these regrets and all these things that would go through your head and go through your head. Um, and if you wanted to touch on any of that, you are welcome to too, but does it have something to do with, I, I know in the beginning you were talking about like you went through a really horrible <clears throat> divorce. Yeah, and that was actually kind of, coinciding with this that was, was starting to happen about 2016, 2018. So, okay. That was probably the worst. I mean, as far as trauma goes, I mean, that was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my entire life. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was hard. And, um, like I need to say this just for the record going forward that all of this is my opinion. Yeah, oh yeah, you know, absolutely. Whatever I'm going to say here is mine. It's not, based on fact or whatever. It's just what I'm thinking, but it was... Well, let me say this too. Please yeah. know that um, the way I, I looked at this, everyone has a story. So this is from your lens, like your prism. Right. And like, this is your experience is Anthony Neary. Yeah. And I want people to hear that. That's what I want people to hear. Yeah. So whatever I'm saying is just my okay. opinion. It is it just doesn't... your opinion. <clears throat> so, yeah. So um, when my wife and I were married, we had two wonderful daughters and they were great, but... You know, uh, about 2014, 2015, she began to really exhibit some mental health issues. Yeah. And it, it ended up kind of uh, manifesting itself in some really severe paranoia. Mm. And I don't know what else. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a diagnosis, but uh, at least it was that. And then we lived through that for a couple of years. But it hadn't, like, <clears throat> it hadn't shown itself before that. <clears throat> when did you get married? Uh, let's see, uh, 2009? 2009, okay. Yeah. So up until then, you hadn't seen anything like that? No. No, I mean, oh. it was just, you know, regular girl crazy stuff. If you I know. That. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. that goes both ways. And Yes, yes, it uh, does. But I know what you mean. But no, she, you know... She had some setbacks. She lost her job, some other things like yeah. that. And then it just kind of manifested itself in, in a very unusual ways. Okay. You know, and it's the, the paranoia part of it, you know, kind of, it's a weird one because it's kind of like alcoholism, right? It, it's mm. a disease that tells you you don't have a disease. It's everybody else. It, oh. Right? If you're paranoid, if you think. If oh, you I see think what you're saying. Yeah. People systems conspiracies are working against you okay anything that uh is antithesis to that idea is therefore part of the system and the conspiracy yeah right so it only reinforces everything okay so telling somebody to go get therapy making somebody go get therapy and yeah you know in the strongest possible terms just reinforces that oh the therapist is in on it too oh wow it very okay. quickly becomes pretty dark and and intense. Oh. And if you're if you're a person living with that, like she was, yeah. like you know, trying to see it from her perspective, you really feel that all these things are aligned against you. And she never really had a reason for why. Yeah. Like there were some parts of like the church. 
like the Catholic the Church Catholic was after Church, okay. her and stuff. And, but, and then there was other, you know, and undefined who knows what. Yeah. But if you, if you legitimately think, and they do, that is their reality. Yeah. That this is actually happening, and I'm part of, you know, I'm the victim of some grand, you know, machination that's happening. Like, you live in a constant kind of fight-or-flight state. Okay. Right? And if you do that for years, it kind of becomes almost a PTSD thing. Yeah. You know, your brain just cannot live on that state of anxiety, and for for too long, you, it starts to really have some very serious consequences. And it did. For us, and you know, like I said you you try to stick with your partner as long as you can, and hey, we're gonna we're gonna go figure this out, and we're gonna get you help, and I know. But if getting somebody help is the thing that's you know antagonizing them, yeah, you know that quickly becomes kind of a non-starter. And then if you bring in you know the kids into the equation, that becomes very difficult very quickly. I I honestly, Anthony, I can't even imagine, but. Yeah. I will say what's kind of going through my head right now is that um, you had when you had mentioned whenever when your dad died and your mm -hmm. mom, you know, all of a sudden just like he was there one day and he there wasn't, and then all of a sudden she became a single mom. Yeah. And then I'm seeing kind of the parallels. I know she, she did not pass away, but you know yeah. the old version of her kind of passed away. And it's like all of a sudden you're making these decisions. It, it kind of went away. It eroded for a long time. It eroded it was for a couple a long time. of years of let's try to figure this out. Yeah. Let's let's try this. Let's try that. We tried a you know bunch of different things, different counselors, you know, group stuff, couples therapy, a whole bunch of other things. And eventually, you reach the kind of conclusion after a couple of years like this isn't going to get better. I'm I mean, so it's sorry. it's a lot in the way of an alcoholic. Like this isn't you're not going to fix this until you decide to fix it. Like you hit rock bottom, right? Yeah. yeah. But the part with the paranoia thing is, if you hit rock bottom, it's because other people did it to you. I didn't realize like that was a, a part of the equation. Is so completely skewed. It's really hard to kind of put yourself in there. What's the diagnosis? Is it? I don't. We don't. I mean, it's paranoia and some other stuff. I don't. You okay. Know, want to say anything directly? But no, no, no. Sure, sure, sure. Wow. Gosh, I'm sorry. That must have been, I don't even know if the word, like, ch challenging probably wouldn't even cut it. It's hard personally watching that happen to somebody you, you care about. But then when you add the kids into it, it gets very scary very well, quickly. Yeah. Because if, so then, you know, <clears throat> we tried things for a couple of years to try to make it yeah. work and figure it out. And then it very quickly became apparent that, like, this isn't. A healthy environment for us or the kids and like yeah first thing is for the kids right so yep we're gonna have to go our separate ways and do this but then she hadn't been working for years so we had to like live together while we went through the divorce oh really yeah oh so gosh. that was really rough did she understand that she was going through a divorce uh yeah but again that became kind of part of okay Part of what was happening to her is as the yeah. whole of the conspiracy See? that was a feature of it that was holy shit. I just yeah. have to say that. Actually, I'm gonna say holy fuck. That's a lot. It was a lot, and like I said, when you when you start talking about the kids, it gets very scary very quickly because if someone is living in that kind of constant state of stress, yeah. Number one, you can't you can't restrict any parent time. You can't do anything like that. <clears throat> until someone demonstrates that they're a harm to themselves or others. Okay. The problem is somebody with 
severe paranoia or something isn't a harm to themselves or others until they are. Until they are. But when they are, that's generally pretty catastrophic. So if you're driving with the kids and you think someone's following you and then you start driving erratically, that's not going to end well. That was kind of the nightmare scenario I had in my head all the time. Oh, God. But I really, you can't legally do anything about it because she hasn't done it yet. She hasn't done it yet. Right. But the yet is the part. But when she, if, when and if she did or would, like, that could be incredibly, and I just can't accept that with my children. So. No. So we have to be divorced. We had to um, go through all that. And it's, you know, the it's the toll that takes on you as well as living through it. I mean, every time you, I had to go to work still, so I had to leave them home. I was just thinking that, that like you're going through so much and personal. the whole time you're at work, you're, you know, you're trying to do your job and, yeah, you know, manage people like I do. And in the back of your head, you're wondering what's happening. Mm-hmm. Anything going on? Yep. Are the girls okay? You know, and then every time you, you know, you pull in the driveway, it's, what am I walking into today? And sometimes she was normal and fine and, and lovely. Like functioning? And, yeah. And sometimes she was friendly and funny even. And okay. it was like, okay, we're fine. And then the drop of a hat, everything would change. Or sometimes you'd come home and she'd be flipping out. And the kids were, the kids were still pretty little. Okay. So, but they didn't. Really, they knew kind of like they could feel something's off, but they don't really know what it is. Yeah. So they're really looking to me Mm. to be calm, be funny, energetic, and like just kind of, you know, by your manner, kind of let them know that things are fine. Yeah. They're protected. Like to kind of give them a sense of like, okay, well, mom's whatever, but dad's fine, so everything's okay. Wow. As long as one of them, (laughs) one of you was okay. But it was, you know, myself living in that constant state of heightened alertness and all that kind of stuff takes your toll on you and like thank you for sharing i knew bits and i knew i did not know all this and i really appreciate you sharing that and especially when you sit down and talk about it and you like paint this picture i'm literally that was one of the things that was going through my head is like you had to go to work every day and i don't mean to make that like minimal but that's a thing like you still had to function Mm -hmm. and make sure that your girls were functioning yeah. And make sure they had food and stability and like stability is such a big thing too. Cause you don't want them <clears throat> to carry that with them. Well, yeah. And this is again, where like the kind of poetry comes in. So there's a, there's a poem I found. I was really in a Winston Churchill for a while. Okay. And uh, a poem he really loved is called Invictus. Okay. By a guy named William Hawley, 1890s. Oh, the, this will definitely be added to the show notes too. And I will read it. <laughs> you know, like, I think I can do it now too, if I can remember it, but it's, um, Out of the night that covers me, as black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. Ah, okay. (laughs) In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloodied but unbowed. From this place of wrath and tears lies but the horror of the shade. Yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, nor how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate, and I am the captain of my soul. I knew that last <laughs> part. Oh my It's gosh. actually a very famous poem, Nelson Mandela. Okay. Uh, it's the one he kind of recited to himself when he was in prison in Robben Island for 30 years. 
But that was the kind of thing that motivated him. I can see why. But Churchill loved it too. So I started doing it. I just I really took that as kind of my mantra every time I was upset. Okay. Or angry. I am the master of fate. I am the captain of my soul. Like you decide. And it became this kind of stoic philosophy thing. I kind of started getting into that too. Did about, you? Okay. You know, you can't change the world. You can only change how you react to the world. Yes, I absolutely abide by that. You know, I nobody can make you upset. You make you upset or yep. you allow yourself to be upset. Yep. You know, you can choose how you decide to react to a situation. And that really was really difficult. Even thinking about that today, I was thinking about times when, you know, as we were rounding the end of the divorce and it was, you know, kind of, for better or worse, going in my favor, right? She would try yeah. to you know, really antagonize the situation. Okay. She was trying to get me to hit her. Oh, my gosh. You know, really get in my face. She would get physical with me. She was trying to get me to react. And you just knew that if I did, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's yeah, an order that's of protection. It. You're an abuser, you know. I'm so sorry. There goes the kids. And it just and it was really hard to, to live with that for sometimes. But it was just that idea. I just kept doing that poem kind of in my head all the time. And it was kind of a way to... Pull yourself out of the moment for a second. Give you a moment of pause. Yeah. And just remind yourself that, like, you control how you react. Um, that takes incredible strength. And I, I also want to appreciate you you sharing that actual, that one little part. And I, I want to say this because I know how sensitive this is. Um, I think that is important for men to share things like this. Yeah. That's why I appreciate you sharing it because sure. it's not uh, common, I would say. Right? You don't You don't necessarily hear that when it comes to divorce or relationships and i can't anthony i cannot imagine like i feel like i want to cry like in that <laughs> moment like how much um you had to rely on those words to know that like in a in a second things could change yeah and you really just said it was about the girls it was about the kids and <sighs> how long did the divorce take a year and a half Okay. So it was a year and a half of living, like knowing it was about, you know, <clears throat> it was two to three years of, you know, kind of a slow decline. Did and, you have, um, <clears throat> did you have support? Uh, I've been to counseling and all that kind of stuff. But like, but, just like, um, did you, did people know that what, what was going on? Oh yeah. Yeah. You had support around yeah. you. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I had the big Italian family. They're all lined up against you. But like you felt like you had that backup. Yeah, I would say it's kind of hard to fall down when you have 50 or 60 people holding you up. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, you could write that as a poem. Wow. Gosh. They were incredible. My mother was wonderful. My brothers. Yeah. They're the girls. Um, I mean, your girls are lovely. Okay. I, I, I genuinely enjoy them every time I see them. They're so polite and funny. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, do you... I mean, this is going on five years now? Six years? Uh, yeah, we were divorced in 2018. Okay. Oh, God, I feel like 2018 was just yesterday. Yeah. Wait a second. So 2018, that's when you had the poem. Yeah, it was a year or two before that, so maybe I got the timing a little well, wrong. No, but but like, it, was, it was kind of in the midst of that. That's incredible. Yeah. You Well, you clearly were carrying a lot. Yeah, but it's like that's when, like I said, those words and all that stuff kind of comes into you. That's when it helps you and... I can't think of the book, but it was a book I read in high school. And I actually did enjoy reading it, but it was in our religion class. And it was, gosh, I want to say his name was, it had to do with the Holocaust. And it was a man who, he like wrote on, oh gosh, I'm going to have to look this up afterwards. Joseph, um, 
but he would write these words to himself. Mm-hmm. And I can't think, dude, does this sound familiar at all? And I can't think of the book, but basically like telling himself like, no, like, you know, find strength in this day, even though this man is living yeah. in a concentration camp, I'll find it. But um, that made me think of that because words are impactful. Yeah. If you can tell them to yourself and like let them sit with you and resonate, it really does make a difference. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's poetry, right? So it's how you organize the words. Yeah. It is how you organize the words. (laughs) And, and, but a lot, you know, somebody else has said it far better than I can, but that, that resonates with me. This one does for me. My mom, it's something else. She loves poetry too. So your mom does? Yeah. My little Mm. brother is a, is a writer. He's been published a couple of times and doing poetry and stuff too. I didn't know that. Yeah. I would love to read his writing. So we used to sit around and, you know, and talk art and poetry and stuff. We had our own little tiny Algonquin round table. It was just me and him, but it was still pretty fun. Um, you should come to the St. Charles. I would love to. Okay. There's, um, again, as you know, Lisa, <laughs> our wonderful friend, Lisa. Um, and she's, I mean, she's been, she's been such an influence on my life too. She's amazing. She is really amazing. And no. I feel like, um, I'm just like, Anthony, I am just astounded. First, I'm just like, I don't know. Thank well, you for- we're sh- really blessed to have a really great group of friends, too. I think We really are. That's really fun, especially for me. Like you said, we only met four or five years ago. You know, we all know Rachel. Everybody knows Rachel. I, I, and, I'm, and I genuinely am thankful to Rachel. I was saying this to Mike before. Like, I feel like it's because of her I've met all of you guys out here, and I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for that. But I'm like, I, I really meant it when I wrote those words before that I was so excited to learn more about you. I had no idea any of this existed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And well, it's we'll, not something you really go out I mean, sharing I feel like, to everybody I feel like such, you just like, need Hey, to. guys, let's bring our favorite poetry. <laughs> but we should. I think we should do things like that. I think it's important. I mean, Everybody will be crying a, in 10 minutes. Uh, I'm a, Anthony, I'm a crier anyways. <laughs> Me too. I'm surprised I'm not crying right now. Like, I'm really <laughs> genuinely shocked. But I'm, I am... Um, there's words I want to say. I, I don't discount how much trauma you went through. And mm-hmm. I don't want to use words to discount that what you went through was you're here. Yeah. You're here. Um, you're thriving. Yeah. Which is incredible. But I, I know you had to really dig deep into some shit. And it's funny because you, <laughs> I just assumed we'd both be cursing the whole time, but here I am <laughs> cursing this whole, this whole one. But I don't discount how much you went through. And I really appreciate you sharing this because I do feel like it's important for not only men, but for women to hear these stories too, that I, there is, there is a misconception that men, you know, they don't go through things, right? Yeah. Yeah. A man's supposed to just kind of swallow it and shoulder it. And I mean, for the most part, that is true. I guess when you are kind of supposed to, there is a time and a place to like, and you need to go to counseling and all that. Oh, well, yeah. I found that incredibly helpful. Just yeah. having somebody who's not, so I'm not dumping on my family all the time, all the shit that was going <laughs> wrong with my divorce and how angry I was and all that. And you know, my counselor really helped me, you know, figure stuff out and see things in a different perspective and be able to kind of, is that you doing that or is that, you know, mm. how you're reacting to it? And you just kind of pull yourself out of it a little bit. Um, a big thing I learned this year was um, the difference between response and react. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I choosing to respond yeah. or how am I choosing to react? Right. You know, react. And there's nothing wrong. I'm not putting them in bad camps either. Um the response to me is more about what you said, like pause. Mm-hmm. It's like about take a minute and pause. And then react is purely driven by like, 
every single emotion at the top of your yeah yeah. It's so usually bad shit happens when you do bad that. shit happens when you react. There are very few times when that's the appropriate reaction, and those are usually have violence associated with. <laughs> I've never hit. I've, I can't. I can't say from my perspective. Because when you're being mugged, you need to react. You don't yes. need to take a breath and oh, figure out what's going on. Wow. You need to kick somebody in the nuts and, you know. This is true. This is true. <laughs> I would, um, so since that five years has passed of mm-hmm. that poem. Okay, so here's my other question. Okay. Do, like, I don't know, lately what's been poetry you've gone to? Uh, well, lately I was I was hooked on this one little one. Uh, it's not really a poem, but it's a it's a piece of of writing from a girl named Catherine Mansfield. She wrote in the 1920s. Okay. And since I just got married, and yes, all you that, did. I was Congratulations. Thinking about that all day, and she described happiness as if as if you swallowed a piece of the sun. Oh my gosh! And I thought that was really cool. And that's how'd you find that? I, I read a book of hers. I think it's called The Garden Party. Okay. Anthony, this is incredible. I almost wish Lisa was with us right now. (laughs) We will have to do an episode with the three of us, and you guys can just discuss beautiful poetry. Um, I know. You had a beautiful wedding. Congratulations. I am really happy. I I loved having Katie on, and she had an incredible story, and I love having you on. And um, It's been really cool. We both have, you know, we've been able to kind of commiserate on that about having a kind of shared shitty experience mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's definitely one of the things shares. i think that that really kind of helped us um covid actually helped us a lot in the early days we always joke about that because we yeah. didn't have anywhere to go or anything to do so we just had to hang out with each other you just had to get like, to we know just each other to each other's houses and just you know sat on the couch and talked oh for a year and a half or whatever like there was. was no texting yeah oh that's right you guys met during covid yeah i know but, i do find it interesting too like your parallel stories mm-hmm. well um What's your birth order? Are you second? I'm the middle, yeah. You're the I'm middle. Second. What's her birth order? She's the oldest. She's the oldest. I always find birth order. So she's a complete alpha female <laughs> in her family. <laughs> oh, she's the oldest. I always find birth order fascinating when people get married. Yeah. So do you ever, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Like, I look at that a lot. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. what's your birth order? Like, oh, like Mike and I are both the third. Right. So I, I think about things like that. But I do think about how your stories are parallel, but you guys met and came together at a time when you had been working through some stuff both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what really helped us. I mean, outside of the fact that she's lovely and hilarious. Oh, she is and funny. Just wonderful in every way. Um, it was having that shared experience and we're continuing to do it. I mean, we mm-hmm. still have ex-husbands and ex-wives and all yep. that that we have to kind of negotiate with. And we put our families together and we have to do that. And we just got married and it's... Gosh, a lot's happened. It's been a hell of a couple of years. <laughs> um, are you looking forward to a new year? I'm really looking forward to a year, if I really hope for it, just a year of calm. A calm? And peace. Yeah? Boring. Just boring would be great. Just a boring year. Just, I'll take a blown out water heater or a oh, car that yes. takes a dump. I just don't want any catastrophic nope. events to happen this Nothing. year. That would be really nice. Nothing will happen, If Anthony. we could just have a year to catch our breath. A really boring... Um, Life tends to not do that to you. I know. You know who am I? That's why like, I don't make resolutions. Right. When men make plans, gods laugh. Oh, wait. Who's that now? I don't remember. But. Okay. I, I wish I could just be Googling all this now. I definitely want to put both of those beautiful poems um, in the show notes. That, gosh, that one... The Holy One gets me. The Invictus one always... That's like, even when I'm having trouble at work, whenever it just... Does it? Okay. 
but you're right back in the, your head in the game kind of thing. Do you have anything framed at home? Yeah, I got a frame. What, the, right the, in my do, office, yeah. Do you? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Whenever I'm, you know, and just anything, work, anything, it just kind of gives you that moment of like, you're going to go through some shit. Because doesn't it make you realize that somebody else went through that shit? Yeah. And like, you're not alone. Like yeah. someone else felt what you felt. Um, do you love Dead Poet Society? I do. Love Dead Poet Society. <laughs> well, when you said the captain, that's that's what <laughs> the like captain, my captain, the captain, yeah. my captain. I'm not trying to be cliche with all my movies. I love that movie. That's <laughs> such a great movie. Um, how is? I mean, is there anything else you want to share? Um, we got no, the whole night. We got the whole all, night. It's all kind of wrapped into it. Like I said, there was a couple other like lines that I really liked about, you know trauma and what to do with it right winston churchill is a kind of a personal winston churchill and teddy roosevelt are both personal kind of heroes of mine are they yeah that's great um i love churchill for that like you know you can love somebody for one thing and not like him for another mm-hmm. you know he was a great person he was really eloquent he had a lot of leadership he was a racist and an imperialist as well yeah. you yeah. know not a good side of him but he did do a lot of other really great things yeah but he had that line that when you're going through hell just keep going mm-hmm like anything, put your head down and. Okay. I, I've said this on a couple podcasts, but I'm, I'm telling you, this is going to be my thing. I hate the term, get over it. I mm-hmm. hate it. I hate it so much, Anthony. I, I hate when people say, we'll just get over it. Um, No, you can't get over things. You have to go through it. Just like yeah. way that you have to go through. You literally, phys- and this is just something I've learned in my own life. And I'm wondering if it resonates with you. If you resist something, it will continue to persist. Meaning like emotion. So think about your emotions. If you keep resisting these and you keep suppressing them or you keep. Um, suppressing definitely. Like that shit's coming out somewhere. It's coming out somewhere. <laughs> like, it's coming it out somewhere. it ain't up to you. Yeah, it That's is when up you, to you freak out at Mike, you know, and throw a coffee cup at him in the morning like, oh, over the, nothing. Like, where's you know? it coming from? He asked where the cat was and you just scream at <laughs> him. Like through the cup. But that's why I think I, I'm such a firm believer in like feeling everything, even though it could be so hard. You have to feel everything and you walk through. This is just me though. And I want to say that and walk through it. I'm not saying it's easy, but like on those days, if it's something traumatic, feel it and walk through it. Like what you decided, like you have to go through hell. Like that's what it made me think of. Did I get those words right? Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's, that kind of goes along. I mean, like I said, I've kind of gotten into like kind of stoic philosophy. Yeah, talk to you. I, years I actually loved philosophy when I was in college. I love those idea. I love those classes. It's just that, that idea that, you know, it's all up to you. Mm-hmm. It's just fine. And there's, um, there's kind of a, a phrase that they, they do on the podcast and all that kind of stuff. And it's like the obstacle is the way. Mm. Like getting over something, you know, a challenge or yeah. whatever that is, whatever your obstacle is, getting over it. It's not getting around it. It's not finding a different path. No, you have to go like right through it. Mm-hmm. But it will make you better. By oh, going 100%. Actually, a thousand percent to that. And it's one. really sickeningly like obnoxious that all of those tropes kind of turn out to be true. They do. They're like you know, nothing easy is worth doing, really. But it's the hard things that actually teach you shit. It is the like, hard things. All of that is all of whatever one you want to pick. There's a million of them, but I, I, it's sickeningly true, and it's obnoxious as hell. And it's annoying. Yeah. Right. Well, think about it. Like, why couldn't I learn something profound from doing something lazy and easy? <laughs> Just like, just like laying there reading something on the internet. <laughs> be like, oh, that's how it is. Well, I do. I do. The older I get, <clears throat> I will say this. I do appreciate. I never want anything to be perfect, right? Perfection is such an illusion. It's boring. It is boring. And I do actually appreciate my flaws now that I'm older. Yeah. And I appreciate that I can own them. 
But I also appreciate when something does happen because I one of the things I've been learning is, okay, so if this thing keeps popping up, what is what am I learning about myself? Mm-hmm. Going back to yourself, like what am I learning about myself and how I respond to something? Um, like, are you responding or reacting? Am I responding or reacting? And that's I. I don't know. I'm kind of. I love imperfection. I really do. I love imperfection. Um, well, because nobody is, and like I mean, it was kind of what I went back to my dad. Like he's locked in this in this frame of mind that I have of him. Yeah. And he's never going to escape that. That's because he died. That's just where he was yep. and where he is. And it was one of the fun things about having kids is you kind of start looking back. Like when I was 10, I thought my mom's job was to be my mom. Yeah. You know, that was, you don't really think of it yeah. as like they have their own lives and passions and, you know, angers and all these other things. They're, kind they're of going own people. On in their lives. They have a career they want to do or, you yep. know, it doesn't even enter into your thinking. Yep. And then once you get older and you have children, you're kind of like, Oh. Oh, that <laughs> I, makes sense. I get it. You know. What's I understand like, why they put a lock on the door now. Oh, your parents? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's like one of your favorite things about being a dad? Oh god, everything. Yeah. It's just the best. It's really yeah. so much fun. I mean, Do your girls love poetry? No, not yet. They're they're both artistic, but it's more paints and stuff like that. My, my little girl's into artistic. Harry Potter. She's all Harry oh, Potter. Okay. And the older one's more into drawing and kind of stuff like that. But, I mean, they're, they're rounding adolescence. You know, one's 13, almost 14. We have an eighth grader and a soon-to-be sixth grader. So, like, that's insane. we're in the midst of it. You're in the midst of the angst. Yeah. You so. just, just, like, start putting poetry books, like, <laughs> under their bed. So it's when they have their own challenges with their mom, and that, that's a, yeah. kind of a big challenge to deal with. But by and large, it's just been the one best thing ever. Like That's really cool. They're your best friends, and they just keep growing into your best friends. Oh, my gosh, Anthony. Yeah, like, I can't wait to see the, like, the I comments. I have much better relationship like, with my mother now. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like, we, we talk every – I go and see her once a week, and we just hang out for an hour and just talk and stuff. But it's, like, it's really like a friendship instead of my mom. Well, yeah. You know, I'm not really worried she's going to ground me or anything. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be weird. But it's so much fun to, like, talk to her about her life and, like, her experience of what's going on with her is in, like, that, in that kind of level as you're just more of, like, you know, you're equals in a way. Well, getting to know her. Yeah. I think about that with my mom all the time. Like, and I, I always try and ask her questions because she's not just my mom. You're mm-hmm. right. Like, there, there are people before they had us. Right. I think that's where I get, you know, some of this. It was easy to talk to you because of my mom's been so forthright with all of her emotions all mm-hmm. the time. Like she's really been an example for me of just like living your whole life out loud. I definitely need to sit down with your mom. You know, if you fuck up, you say you fucked up, you deal with it and you move yes. on. Yes. Don't hide it. Yeah. She never did. She always just like, well, that was stupid. We're not going to do that again. <laughs> not going to do that again. Yeah. That's okay. But you so, know, you saw her, you saw her with the mistakes, you saw her with the flaws, but then you saw her with the triumphs and everything else too. And it, you can't have one without the other. Well, I don't think it, it's also too, I mean, you don't want one without the other. Right. You don't appreciate, right. you really don't appreciate the love until you've had that epic heartbreak, mm-hmm. you know, which is awful, but it makes you, yeah. you know, it definitely shapes you. You don't want, I always think of it too. Like I'm like, what was your first job in high school? Uh, well, mowing lawns and stuff. Uh, my first real like job job was like, I think it was Montgomery Ward. Okay. 
Oh my god, I love that's where the Kane County Clerk's Office oh. is now. For those of you who know, I was going to say there was a Montgomery one <laughs> out here. Okay, so like I'm sure there are aspects of that that were humbling, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had to work, you were 16. Yeah. It, like my first job was. We just screwed around all the time. You did, but you still had a job, yeah. right? Like you knew, like, like yeah, this isn't going to be my forever job, but it taught you lessons, and mm. is like my first job was cleaning ashtrays at my dad's office. <laughs> I think about things like that. Like you have to have those jobs, those moments, those experiences in your life to right. like build you up to the things you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind cleaning out ashtrays. I haven't cleaned one out in like 30 <laughs> years. I don't even think I've ever seen an ashtray in the last like. They're pretty scarce now. <laughs> 15 years. Do you see them in your job? No, not really. Okay. That means it's good. People are not. And no, and people want to smoke. That's totally up to them. Um, is there anything you else you want to share? Otherwise I have a couple of questions. Um, no, I'm pretty good. What are the questions? Oh, these are good Lay questions. These are good questions. Okay. Um, first of all, I want to thank you. That was, oh, thank you. honestly, this that was wonderful. beyond like anything I ever expected. I appreciate you so much more as a person. And honestly, Anthony, I really hope like this is a continued conversation because I like learning. That'd be fun. I like I like learning this about you and I love, I love, and I said this to the um, women I had on my first podcast, I want to do a round table. I'd love if you'd want to come back and we can talk more poetry. Of course. Because that was incredible. Like that inspires me. I love to read. um, I like to, I save a lot of inspirational quotes. I do like to read, um, but now I will pick up some poetry. I really will. I, I, I appreciate it. You got to take it in little bits because you got to be like, it's it's got to hit you in the right mood. You know, you read it one day and it doesn't mean anything to you. And then you read it the next day and you're like, oh my God, this is profound. Well, I think honestly, I have this podcast folder that I save all these quotes on that I find like on Instagram. Mm Mm-hmm. It is po- it's all poetry, but it's mostly about, you know, trauma and healing and th- it is poetry. So I just never thought of it in those terms. Um, but I can't wait to have you back. It's going to be good. And Lisa <laughs> will come too. Um, okay. So the first question I have is what has your story or these stories taught you about yourself in life? I think people have an incredible capacity mm-hmm. for, for everything. I mean, they have a capacity. People can be really horrible to each other and they can be really lovely to each other. Mm. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I think that's probably the, the, you know, if you're asking like what I've learned from life, it's probably that. And probably for most people is you're your own worst enemy. Mm. I would say if people really self-examine themselves, they would find out that 90% of their problems are within caused by you and your intransience and your whatever. But, and that, that does take some work and some, you know, some honest truths to, yeah. you know, whenever Katie's mad at me, you have to take a pause and be like, am I being an asshole right now? Oh, that's very self-aware. Yeah. And 90% of the time that's true. So <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, this is probably me. You know? <laughs> um, um, okay. Well then the second one is <laughs> how does your story inspire you to show up in this world? I don't think you have a choice. I mean, it's, oh. you know, I, um, my mom once told me it was, she was proud of me, very, you know, congratulatory about going through kind of like you were with the divorce and everything like that. And I'm just so proud of the way you made it through. And I was kind of like, Katie said something about this in the podcast. too. I always kind of, you know, made the analogy of like, it's kind of like, you know, putting yourself out when you're on fire. Mm. Right. Like, what other choice do you have? I can sit there and burn or I can yeah. you know, stop, drop and roll. Right. So like you can give up and die or, you know, it's your, uh, your Shawshank Redemption, right? Oh, man, that's like Mike's favorite movie. Get busy living or get busy dying. 
Man, I have taken a lot from this episode. That's another one that's going to take yourself all the time. When you're feeling sorry for yourself, when you don't want to get up in the morning and work out, I always say myself, hey, yeah, get busy living or get busy dying. <laughs> okay. Get your ass out of bed and go do some yoga and yes. go work out. And, you know. Yes. Well, Anthony, thank but, you. And then the only one thing I'll leave with, I always tell my the guys on my team, this the Teddy Roosevelt line I always love is, do what you can with what you have where you're at. That's incredible. <laughs> Just, Thank you for that. Do what you can with what you have and where you're at. Yeah, don't sit there and wish you had a baseball bat and don't wish you had. Just find something and go. Anthony, I can honestly <laughs> say I am lucky to know you. I mean this like well, I feel like this has made me a better this. person. Like, and I I am genuinely excited for more conversations. <laughs> I know this has made me a better person. This is going to be a beautiful way to go into 2024. Um, the most boring year ever in the Neary household. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> uh, the only thing, that, like, I mean, nothing, not, no broken pipes, nothing. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. Well, thank How you, do you Mary. feel? This is awesome. I was love it, doing this. This uh, was fun. I can't wait for you to come back. It was but it was in like a cool way. Well, you didn't, I didn't, I assumed I was going to cry, but that was, I'm very. I moved. got right there a couple of times, but I was able okay. to kind of pull it back. Well, good yeah. thing we have wine. <laughs> right. Wine and Italian cookies. It does. Makes um, sense. Covers up a lot of sit. Well, I can't wait for you to do this again. And I just want to, um, I genuinely want to thank all my listeners. I, peop- I, 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 it means so much that people listen. Um, so I hope that Anthony's story helped you, that feel supported and seen and heard. And if you have a story to share, please feel free to submit to I'm so glad you asked podcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram at I'm so glad you asked podcast. I'm so glad you asked as part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com. This episode of I'm So Glad You Asked was edited by my friend Josh Finfrock.